Hey Life Kitten, Roger here, one of your directors. I'm so glad that you are joining us, whether you listen to us every week or catch up when you're out of town, or you're a brand new listener discovering us for the first time. Either way, I want to remind you that you belong. You belong to God, so you belong to this community, and our desire is to get you plugged in and for you to have opportunities to participate in the life of this community and what God's up to in it. So there's two ways that you can do that. The first way is to fill out a connect card. We will reach out, help you get connected, answer any questions you may have, even if it's just uh, an interest in an area of serving in our church. Or you can also support the mission of God and what he's doing at our church. And this is our last week of our Torchbearer series where we've talked all about our 10-year vision. So be sure to go back and listen if you've missed those. Uh, But that's deeply tied to the generosity of our community, of you all. Your generosity goes directly towards opportunities to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love in our community and all the ways that we're going to grow and continue to do that in the future. So either of those opportunities you can take advantage of on our Church Center app or our website. But head on over and just get involved in this community in, in whatever way you can. Uh, this, Like I said, this is our last message on our Torchbearer series where we've been talking about our 10-year vision. This one's going to be from Pastor Jared, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, being the light and, and some final thoughts. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a moment. Amen. You can have a seat. How's everybody doing today? Man, you sound good. Uh, I'm excited to be with you. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am grateful to be with you as we continue in this series called Torch Bearer. I'll come to that in just a second. But first of all, if you're new or newer here, we want to make sure that you get connected in case you didn't hear it at the front end. There's going to be a QR code that comes up on the screen, so you can scan that with your phone. And that is going to take you to our digital connect card, and then that will help us to be able to reach out to you and help you take some next steps to get more connected, more included in our community. Uh, we have been in this series now for several weeks called Torch Bearer, and it's based on our vision, which if you don't know our vision, we have a 10-year vision that started back in 2022. I want to bring it up here on the screen here in just a moment, but talking about this idea of reclaiming our identity in Jesus, we've talked a lot about that, but this series, we've been focusing on this second part of the vision, which is to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. And so what we've done to sort of unpack that even more is looked at Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 and then today we're going to get into 16. So so far we've only talked about 14, 15, today's 16. John at the beginning uh, of his message gave a challenge to all of us. Do you remember what it was? To memorize these verses. Anybody tried shooting for memorizing these verses? Okay, no shame. That's, there's a couple of hands going up. That's awesome. That's great. I do want to ask you, how many of you, um, you know the like Michigan fight song or the Michigan State fight song? Apparently, there, is there a Lions fight song? That's what I've heard. Um, you, you should know because you've been singing it more this year at least. Uh, apparently. So we, we've got all these fight songs. I, I'm a Vikings fan. Uh, I know the Vikings fight song, these songs that we sing at sporting, uh, sporting events that, that we all know. And, and we all just, we, do, we just sing out loud because we're passionate about it. We're excited about it. We don't even think twice that we have internalized a lot of these lyrics of these fight songs for sports teams. But the moment you ask, hey, could you memorize a few lines of scripture? Oh, no, no, I could never do that. That's too much. That, you know, I don't want to do that. It's really hard. And it's like verses that actually speak to our identity and our purpose for being alive. 
But a fight song, I can do that. You, uh, yeah, absolutely, I could do that. So I don't mean to poke fun or anything like that in a way, but I do want to encourage us to think about what are the things that we are internalizing? What are the things that we are getting into us? And part of the reason we asked you to consider the challenge of memorizing this scripture is to get it inside of us, to internalize it, to understand our, our purpose, our identity, who God has created us to be. I thought about it this way. Our kids sometimes, and life kids, they learn verses. They, they are actually memorizing scripture, I think, every week. Oftentimes, they'll put it to a song because that helps them to memorize it. So what if we put it to a song? We were at sermon rehearsal on Wednesday, and John Smith, our intern, says, I, w- I wish you would do a song to internalize the scripture. So John, this one's for you. I apologize ahead of time. This is what we're going to do. And I apologize to anybody who's not a Michigan fan. Okay. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So don't hide your light. That's right. I'll be here all morning. Okay. So we're not going to do that. Uh, What we are going to do is we are going to look at these verses in their entirety and unpack them even just a little bit more. I'm not going to ask you to put it to a song, but if you want to do that, go for it. Here we go. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Of course not. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. I want to focus on that portion for just a little bit. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. What's a good deed? An act of love for somebody else. And let everybody see it. I had my own interpretation of that when I was in high school. Uh, Back when I was a a senior in high school, uh, I was part of a choir And then even within the choir, there was a more elite choir called the show choir. And I was part of that as well. And at the end of every year, we got to do this sort of uh, variety show. And it was much more student-led where all of the students kind of got to decide what the different acts were. And then on top of that, they asked a senior guy and a senior girl to be the MCs of this variety show. And that year they asked me as a senior and my friend Amy. And so we got to be the MCs. And it was on us to sort of organize the different acts and talents and stuff like that and sort of place them where they were going to go. And then also provide any sort of in-between stuff, oftentimes, you know, some humor, some jokes along the way as well. So that was what I got to do. Well, there's another element that played into all of this. I was dating a girl at the time. She was also in the show choir and she was really talented and decided that she was going to do a solo as well. And so we placed it in a specific spot. But in order to kind of jazz it up a little bit more, uh, she decided to involve somebody in the process. Now, she sang this song that was, uh, I hope I can use this word in church, it was a sultry song. You know what I'm talking about? She sang, uh, can't help loving that man of mine. You know, that's kind of the feel of the song. And so as something funny to do, what she did is she got this uh, shorter, smaller freshman boy to sit on a bench, just sit there the whole time and just sort of kind of do this whole thing while she's walking around him and like putting her hands on his shoulder and stuff and making him feel uncomfortable while she's singing the song. Well, I wasn't jealous, okay? I'm just, I'm stating that I wasn't jealous because she was my girlfriend. 
um, and I'm a senior, you know, and so, uh, but I wanted to, to, to kind of have the last word, last moment in that situation, and, and since I was the MC, I got to decide the transitions in between acts. So I talked with Amy about it ahead of time, the other MC, and I said, hey, would you be okay if I did something kind of creative and kind of fun? She's like, yeah, go for it. And I also talked with Brett, this little freshman boy, and I said, hey, I need your help. I'm going to do something special for this girl, um, but I need you to, to go along with me, but I can't, you can't tell her uh, what I'm doing. So what I needed him to do was after she was done singing the song, I needed him to tell her, hey, close your eyes and sit on the bench. And she's like, okay. And so she, he does, he goes through with it. And on top of all of this, it's a pretty small town, and when the show choir puts on this variety show, it's kind of a big deal in our town, and a whole lot of people show up, and so the audience is filled. The, the theater is packed. What I did is once he got my girlfriend to close her eyes and to sit on the bench, I came out with a singular rose and then came up behind her. Yeah, you already know what the crowd did. That's exactly how the crowd responded, even the moment I'm walking out on stage. And then I tap her on the shoulder, I give her the rose, and she's just red in the face, but gets up, gives me a hug. We walk off stage and we go on with the rest of the show. How do you think the crowd responded? Exactly. You got it perfectly. That's exactly how it went. And I'm thinking, this is, this is gold. I'm like, I'm the most romantic person I know for a senior guy. I'm expressing my love, my good deed of love for all to see and for my girlfriend at the time. Like, this night is going to go amazing. We're going to go back to my house. We're going to watch a movie. And she is going to propose to me. That's how this is going to go. And so we go back to my house. We're watching a movie. She's kind of quiet the whole night. And uh, I'm trying to kind of feel it out and like try to figure out like, why isn't there praise and adoration coming my way? Like just flowing from her lips. Like this should be easy for her to do. Y'all, she hated it. She hated it. She absolutely hated it and was embarrassed by the entire event. I'll come back to that in just a minute. As we look at these verses, let your good deed shine out for all to see. I want to key in on this phrase here, for all to see, for just a moment. See, our culture has this sort of universal desire to be seen, to be noticed. And that's actually a really good thing. That's a, that's a normal, healthy thing that we would want. As we come into this world, we want to be seen, we want to be noticed, we want to be loved and accepted and secure. And all of those things are normal and good and healthy. You should feel that way. And... For about the past 20 years or so, that desire has become twisted, maybe even a little bit perverted, and amplified exponentially by the creation of social media. Notice me, like me, see me, praise me, adore me, and if you don't, well then, oh, something's wrong with me, or if you don't, well, something's wrong with you. That's how we have begun to learn about our desire, which Inherently, inherently was healthy at the start, but now it's become twisted. So if things aren't going well at home, well, I can just go to this platform and then all of these other people who don't really know me will now notice me and like me and, and praise me and adore me. If things aren't going well at work, well, maybe I can go to this spot and I can post this thing and then I can, I can get more likes, I can get more notices. Like me, notice me, appreciate me, see me. And it's gotten to the point where it's not at a healthy, flourishing level. And why do we desire that, right? Why do we desire to be seen? Well, it's 
for those things. We, we want to be loved. We want to be noticed and accepted, and we want to be secure, except just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we are some of the most lonely people on the planet. It's not working. Our desire, or what our desire has become, especially amplified by social media, is not working. We are the most lonely people on the face of the planet. And on top of that, we have extreme challenges with our mental health. So something's not working. This desire to be seen isn't working. And here's the thing, that's not just an individual problem, but that idea, that concept, that ideology is seeping into churches as well. Churches have this sort of self-serving, self-promoting, individualistic idea to see me, notice me, notice us, look at our deeds. And that's especially amplified in some bigger churches that I got to be a part of that had bigger budgets, that had whole marketing departments that wanted to make sure that you noticed, hey, we're here, notice us, like us, join us. It's not working. People are leaving churches in droves. Churches becoming irrelevant. So we're incredibly lonely, and our churches are getting smaller and smaller, and yet our world is suffering in this sort of epidemic of loneliness, and there is hatred and injustice and violence that runs rampant throughout our world. And guess what? Nobody is looking to the church to fix it because they don't believe that we can actually be light. Here's the thing. I think we are a little bit skewed by the way that we see ourselves. I want to show you these verses once again. I want to show all of them all together. Think about these phrases. You're the light of the world. Oh, yes. Thank you. That feels, oh my gosh, that feels so good. Thank you. Yes. No one lights a lamp and hides it. No, don't hide your light. In fact, let your light be seen by all to see. All of your good deeds, you should let everybody see that. Now, if you look at these verses, whether you're Christian or not, they're very palatable. They're very easy to digest. There's nothing in here that's really all that challenging. It's not a whole lot of doctrine or anything about sin or behavior or, or any kind of um, uh, morality of any kind. It's really quite uplifting and encouraging. It's extremely digestible, whether you're Christian or not, to be told that you are the light of the world. Of course, that feels amazing to hear that. To say, you shouldn't hide you should let everybody see you and let everybody see your good deeds. All of that feels really good until you realize how that impacts the culture that you and I live and breathe. Think about that. We have a culture that is absolutely dedicated to ourselves. And the reason I don't think this is working is because I think it has to do with what Pastor John said to me earlier this week, adventures in missing the point. Or what I'm going to call the wrong deed and potentially the wrong motivation. I think we might have misunderstood what deed of love actually means and I think we might have the wrong motivation and it has everything to do with the culture that you and I live and breathe. What am I talking about? We are an incredibly individualistic culture which means we are self-promoting, we are self-preserving, and on top of that, we're also incredibly insecure. And so if you take that perspective and you, you think about it like, like lenses in a glasses frame, like prescription lenses, these are the prescriptions for our lenses that we wear. Individualism, self-promotion, self-preservation, and what we do with those lenses is, is we take that and we 
put that onto or we read that into the scriptures that we see, particularly a scripture like the one that we're talking about. You're the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Let your deeds shine out for all to see. The lenses of individualism that we have on, we read that into the scripture and we think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is all about me. This is great. This is building me up. This is going to go well for me until it doesn't. And so our individualistic perspective says, well, if I just follow that, well, then people will see me. They'll praise me. They'll adore me for all of these amazing things that I do. And we hope that that's the case. And it might work for a little while until it doesn't. And then we get extremely frustrated. Because when it doesn't work out, when people don't worship me, praise me, adore me, then all of a sudden I'm confused and I'm angry. I'm angry that the scripture isn't working for me. And I'm tying the scriptures to a God who is not working for me anymore. So I want to give up on him. But also uh, God is connected to God's people. So I'm going to give up on God's people. I'm going to give up on the church. You know what? This faith thing isn't working out for me anymore. I'm going to go find something else that works. Let me take you back to my high school experience, to the variety show. See, I was extremely confused when I went through all of this trouble to be passionate, romantic, suave. I mean, all of the things that you would want in a high school relationship, right? And so I put this whole plan together to to impress her, to please the crowd, and to put on a show in a sense. And I just did all of this planning and preparation to make this thing happen. So you can imagine my surprise when later that night, she was incredibly embarrassed and hated the whole thing. And instead of being sympathetic or trying to be understanding of, oh, how could I have done that differently? Or I'm so sorry, this, this, I, I, I chose the wrong deed of love. Instead of all of that, I was not only confused, but I was actually angry toward her. How dare you? Anybody else would love this rose. Anybody else would love to be put on the spot like that in front of a crowd and have their love, their boyfriend's love be expressed toward them. I was angry that she didn't reciprocate with adoration and with praise for me. But then I had about five years or so to reflect on that. Because about five years later, I married that girl. And what I learned about my wife, Danielle, is that she does not like surprises. She doesn't like big surprises. And she certainly doesn't like them when they are done in public. But I didn't know that about her when I was in high school. And I didn't take the time to get to know that about her. I was doing that entire deed of love for me. That moment was all about me. All about the praise and adoration that I would hope to receive. That was not about what was loving to her. Talk about adventures in missing the point. Let me ask you, church, how often do we make Matthew 5, 14 to 16? You are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. How often do we make those verses about us? And about the praise and adoration that we hope to receive as a result of living into those things. And then when we realize that we're actually not receiving that love, then we think, man, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the scriptures. There's something wrong with God. It's not working. Is it possible that we make our deeds about us? Is it possible that we have the wrong motivation? Think about our vision statement to reclaim our identity in Jesus and to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. How are we defining 
love or what acts of love actually look like. We could go to 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, right? All of those good things. But there's a verse that happens before we get to that list. And it says this, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels. Seems like an incredible gift, an incredible loving thing to do. If I could do that, but I didn't actually love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. My act of love, my deed of love toward Danielle, toward my girlfriend at the time, was all about me. But to her, it was just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal because that's not what was loving to her. She didn't receive the love in the way that I had intended it. I had the wrong deed for her and the wrong motivation. Think about it this way. If I continued to be with her and, and, and cultivate our relationship together and decided that I was going to marry her, but decided that the way that I was going to propose to her was to say, hey, we're going to go to a big sporting vo- event, uh, which she also doesn't like sports, go to a big sporting event in front of thousands of people and get on the jumbotron and then propose to her in that way, she would say no <laughs> right then and there. Because that would be adventures in missing the point of love for her. It means I would have learned nothing about who she is and about how she receives love. Let's use our light metaphor. And this idea that you are the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Don't turn it off. Don't turn it on so that everybody can see and we can position that light in the right spot. And then let your good deeds shine out for all to see. If we read that through an individualistic lens, that it's all about me and the light that I bring, but it might not necessarily be the light that somebody else needs. It might look something like this. And I'm not going to shine this in your eyes because then you're going to be really upset with me because this is annoying. This gives me a headache. Oh my gosh. Oh, geez. Yeah, but I'm bringing you light. No, it's not the light that I need. This is going to give me a seizure if we're not careful. Are we considering the light that we're actually bringing into the world? Are we considering the actual deed of love? Is it actually loving? Is our motivation in the right spot? What about acts of justice? How do we understand our deed of justice, our motivation for justice? Some of you know this story of Tom's shoes. Maybe some of you are wearing Tom's shoes. That's great. That's okay. But I want to give you some of the background and the story of how Tom's came to be. There was a guy named Tom, conveniently, who went to underdeveloped areas of the world. And he had this compassion for people. He said, there's so many people just don't have shoes to wear. And so he thought, I could do something about that. And so he created some really fashionable shoes and decided that there was going to be a BOGO problem. So he charged a little bit more for the shoes so that he could also uh, do kind of a buy one give one program. So you buy a pair of shoes, we're going to give a pair of shoes to somebody in an underdeveloped part of the world. Now that seems like a really good idea. And everybody got on board. Everybody was really excited about it. Not only did American consumers feel really good about their fashion sense and that they were wearing Tom's shoes, but it also was a message to everybody else who saw their shoes to say, oh, that's a person who does good as well. They look good, but they also do good. That's awesome. Because American consumers felt really good about this deed that they were doing until after a little while they realized that the deed was not all that loving to some of these communities. 
See, what they were finding was that they would go into some of these communities and they'd find that the local shoemaker of that village or the cobbler was completely out of work now. And now these communities were becoming extremely codependent on all of these free shoes that were coming in. They no longer needed to have any sort of dignity for themselves to either create for themselves or work for themselves. They just waited on the free shoes that came their way. And then on top of that, some of the economies of these smaller villages or communities in underdeveloped areas, these economies just tanked. Talk about adventures in missing the point of justice. It didn't work. It's a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And now Tom's has had to rethink their entire motivation, their entire deed as well. They've actually shifted their focus conveniently, I think, which is kind of interesting, to a focus of mental health. So they're, they're still compassionate, they're still giving, but they have understood that the way in which they were going about it was not actually the way in which it needed to be received. See, I have a bold statement that I want to make, and that's this, a good deed is good as long as it's actually good for the receiver. Because if we find that the good deed is good only for the giver, then one of two things need to happen. One, we need to grow in our understanding of and our relationship with the receiver to understand what their actual needs are. That's sort of a version of a definition toward equity. Is justice equitable? Is it what somebody actually needs? But two, the second thing is, is we need to check our motivation. What is our motivation? Is it for us? Is it for me? Is it so that people will praise me and my deeds and my goodness? How do we check our motivation? Well, some of you who have been looking at these verses for a while, maybe today or the last couple of weeks, you have been squirming and turning in your seats because you're like, Pastor, you didn't read all, all the verse. There's more there. And you're right. Let's look at verse 16 one more time, but I want to show you the part that we haven't said yet. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, but it finishes this way. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It's for Him. It's for His glory. This is for His goodness, His flourishing. So that everyone will praise me? Absolutely not. So that they will praise your heavenly Father. We just sang a song where we said, You have no rival. You have no equal. It's your glory, your name, your fame that will live on beyond me and my agenda. Amen? Amen. This is a statement about our motivation. Everything leading up to that is great and good. But if we miss this part, then it's only going to perpetuate our already individualistic culture. And we're going to continue to read that sense and read those lenses into the scriptures when at the reality of this is we need to recognize this is about him and his glory and his fame and his name. You are light. You are, absolutely. You bring light into the world. You give light. Don't hide your light, absolutely. But so that... Everyone will praise God. This is about him. You are light ambassadors, if I could put it that way. 
Let me talk about ambassadors for just a second. See, an ambassador is somebody who represents a country or a president in another country. Let's just take the United States, for example. An ambassador of the president of the United States goes to another country and they represent all of their policies, their positions on different things. They, they have to know that inside and out and represent that to the foreign country. And it's an incredible, uh, highly responsible job. You have high responsibility, you have high authority. It's a big deal to be an ambassador to another country. But if the president of the United States goes to that country, guess what? All the focus, all of the energy is redirected. Everything turns toward the president if the president is in that foreign land. Now, that's not to say that the ambassador is now weak and useless and pointless and dumb and it has no purpose. No, absolutely, that, that all remains. It's just that the focus is now redirected to the president because they embody the positions and the policies of the country at that time. So another way that the Apostle John speaks about it in this way, and he uses the metaphor of light. He says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is the genesis of this light. This is Jesus. This is a big deal. This is the president, for lack of a better term. But then there's an ambassador involved. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So which is it? Are you light or is God light? Yes. Yes. God is light. God gives you light. Now you are light and you carry light and you bring light wherever you go. You shine light in dark places. Not like this, but like this. You shine light in dark places. That's what we are called to do. So that people's focus and attention is redirected to the heavenly father who saves us, who has mercy on us, who gives us grace, who loves us unconditionally, regardless of how much effort we put to say, notice me, like me, adore me, please me. You don't need to do any of that. He loves you just as you are. And he's giving light to you to transform the darkness within you as well. How do we be good light ambassadors? I'm so glad you asked. It has to do with our self-awareness. We've been talking about that a lot. That within our individualistic culture, we are self-serving, we are self-promoting. And so we need a sense of self-awareness. And these verses in the ancient world, the yous are plural. We've talked about that before. Y'all are the light of the world. So there's a group awareness that needs to take place as well. Remember our definition of being a torchbearer, to shine Christ's light in dark places. Think about what happens, not when just you as an individual go into dark places, but you as a group go into dark places. 
Dark places are anything physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, dark places within our community. We talked about specifically loneliness and mental health. When we get into dark places, what happens? It's unsettling, it's uncomfortable, it's challenging, it's scary at times, and we want to get out. And a natural response to that scary, challenging, sort of uh, uncomfortable, inconvenient, dark place is to get really agitated, especially if we're within a group. It becomes really hard, divisive, and hard to get the job done, and hard to actually be light in that dark place. The Apostle Paul spoke to an ancient church in Philippi who was a church trying to be light in a dark place, and this is what he said. Very simple. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I could stop there, and that would be a challenge enough for us just this week, even as we head into our Thanksgiving meals with family, right? Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of amazing, loving, accepting people. No, full of crooked and perverse people. I love how Paul acknowledges that it's not going to be easy. And not everybody's going to be on board with your light. But still shine brightly. And then he goes on to say, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I, Paul speaking, I will be proud that I didn't run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Paul is speaking about his motivation. He says, I don't want to do this if it's in vain. I want to do this so that God gets the glory. How do we be good light ambassadors? We have to form our group identity in such a way where when we are light in dark places and it gets hard and we become agitated, that we resist the temptation to complain and to argue about preferences and conveniences and, well, you shouldn't have done it that way or I wouldn't have done it that way or why aren't you doing this and why do we have to keep on doing this? No, 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 no. Shine brightly. Allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate love and joy and peace and goodness within us to be patient with each other because we could talk about providing light all day long, but when it comes to actually doing that in dark places, we're going to be tested as a church. We are going to need to rely on the Holy Spirit and on one another to not complain, to not argue, but to shine brightly. I want to give us just two ways to begin to cultivate that or continue cultivating that for just this week. And you could do it beyond this week, but I want to encourage you to do two things. One is do one good deed. Not for all to see and praise you, but do one good deed for somebody this week that's a good deed for them. Not what you think a good deed is, but something that is actually good for them. And then have no expectation of anything in return. No reciprocation. Just do it out of your own compassion and love for that person. And then secondly, I want you to begin to journal. If you, for those of you who don't journal, I want you to try something new and journal something. It doesn't have to be long, maybe just a sentence or two. 
Journal something that you are grateful for. When we spend time shifting our mindset toward gratitude, it becomes really hard to complain or to argue. God begins to transform our hearts from the inside out. and changes our mindset. Could we imagine if this entire community was in this place of constant, lived out gratitude and then what shining light in dark places could begin to look like? Here's the thing. None of this message is corrective for all of us. If anything, this is actually an encouragement of what I see God doing in and through all of us already. Church, I, b- I believe that we are on a good trajectory toward this kind of mentality, this kind of behavior, this kind of community. And I'm extremely excited about it. This Torchbearer series is just sort of a capstone that is going to, I believe, launch us into that next phase. So here's what I want to do. I want to turn the corner for just a moment. I want to talk about sort of um, kind of a, a project, a group project, if you will, that we've been working on. And so a couple weeks ago, me and John sat up here and we asked you to identify some major needs in our community. We had poverty, loneliness, and mental health. In the first service, it was by far loneliness uh, that was voted for. In the second service, it was mental health. So we decided, okay, we need to look into what God is saying to us as a community and sort of combine those efforts and figure out what that's actually going to look like. But what was helpful is we had you write down some practical acts of love and justice that we could potentially pursue. And they were kind of all over the place, but there were some um, there was some unifying statements in some of them. And I want to show you that now in the version of a pie chart. Now, I apologize. The text was too small on the pie chart. So I'm just going to explain what these represent. So obviously one of them is bigger. This big blue section, it's over 50%. Was anytime somebody mentioned something about community um, that would take place here, which I was a little surprised by, which I'll get to in just a second. But the idea was there were lots of ideas about um, kind of opening up our building for maybe a little bit more or a little bit longer, maybe uh, a certain chunk of time throughout the week or maybe on a Sunday or something like that so that we could host something here. That was kind of the general uh, consensus in this section here. And that was the most, which I thought was interesting. We'll come back to that in just a second. The red represents anytime somebody mentioned about prayer or increasing our prayer culture or doing something more with prayer, anything that kind of looked like that ended up in this section, which if you think about it, you can really, you don't have to program prayer necessarily. You can always infuse prayer into whatever it is that we do end up doing. The yellow section here represents anytime somebody mentions something about groups, whether it be life groups or adding new groups or creating new groups. People said we need more groups or more emphasis on groups so that people aren't as lonely, so that they're more connected. Again, if we're thinking about it, um, we can kind of combine all of those efforts together. What I was surprised by is some of the things that that showed up in the smaller sections. Now, this green section here was, um, there were a couple mentions of doing some kind of a mentorship slash adoption, like adopt a senior citizen or adopt a college student, which I thought was good. Um, And so we held on to that, but it was a pretty small chunk of the percentage. The next one in the orange here was, um, this was the most surprising to me. This, uh, I think, is only like 3% was representative of the people who said, we should do something like partner outside of these four walls. I was surprised by that because I thought this would be that. 
the, the common phrase that I've been hearing from folks just in passing or in conversation is, yes, we're the church, but the church needs to get outside the building. We need to do something out in the community, but that only represented 3% of the responses, which I think is interesting. And what stuck out to me is one of the responses that was in this blue section was very insightful. I don't know who it was, but this person said, yes, we, we do need to do something out in the community and we can and we should, absolutely. I'm kind of paraphrasing what they said, but they said, we need to figure out who we are as a community first and secure our identity first so that we are even better positioned to be a service to the community outside these walls. It's not a, we'll never do this because we're gonna do this. It's just a, not yet. It's just not yet. And then there's this last little sliver here. And that was just kind of some miscellaneous things. Here's what I want to say. We are continuing to pray about what this and in combination with these two things look like. But this is going to be a church-wide effort. This is not going to be staff are going to go to our offices, write out a bunch of ideas, and then present it to you. We are going to be calling on some of you, many of you, who have gifts in different areas of coordination, of administration, some of you who have gifts in mental health that can help us understand how we can best do this. And we already do have some ideas rolling around, but we want to be very intentional about what we do going forward so that we are not just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal into our community, but that we are actually doing it out of the right motivation of love and justice. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for how this church is growing and I'm excited that you have buy-in into what's going to take place. There's more coming later. Keep praying about this, pressing in to this. But first, I want to invite you to stand if you are able. And I want us to recognize that all of this, all of this is for his glory. Not for the glory of Life Church, not for the glory of Pastor Jared or Pastor John, not for any of our glory, but for his glory and his name to be made famous. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you that you are our firm foundation. You are the rock on which we stand. You have no rival. You have no equal. Everything that we do, we want to be motivated by who you are. God, let us be the hands and feet of your love so that everyone can praise you. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that message. I hope that Pastor Jared gave you one final encouragement in this series, not just to support our 10-year vision, but also to live out our calling of being lights, of having light that shines and light that points others to God in our community, in our families, home, workplaces, wherever that may be. Uh, But I hope that not only were you encouraged, but that you heard something, that message that made you think. And if you're still kind of processing something that you heard or even just something that's going on in your life, I would encourage you to reach out so that we can support and encourage you as you, you as a community. And again, your, our best way to do that is for you to fill out a connect card so that we can reach out and make sure you feel encouraged and supported. But have a wonderful week, uh, a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday week. I hope that you have uh, wonderful times with your family around uh, the dinner table and have some great food. We will catch up with you again next week. See you soon.